0: Good morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it up and turn turn with me to Psalm one. To Psalm one, uh, this morning uh, we're glad that you're with us on this Memorial Day uh, weekend, and uh, we begin a new series. It's the series that we will be going through throughout the whole of the summer, and it's called Selah. <clears throat> now, Selah as some of you may know, Selah is, a, is actually a biblical term, and it's found, uh, used a number of times throughout the book of Psalms. And no one is, particular, is exactly sure what the definition of Selah is. Um, they know that it to be either a musical term or a term that was used in order for, to, to create uh, a dramatic pause in the reading of a text. And so the idea is this. The idea be- behind having Selah, as it relates to one of the Psalms, is that someone would pause, that they would, the idea being that they would stop and listen. Or according to, uh, according to the Amplified Bible, they would say, pause and think of that. And so this summer, we are going to be going through the Psalms. And as we go into this time when the mornings are bright and the evenings and the, the sun is long into the evening... My hope is that we will, by calling, the, using this title to remind us to pause and to stop and to think and to reflect together on who God is and what he has done as we journey together through the book of Psalms. Now, we, of course, won't be preaching through all of the Psalms because it's 150 Psalms, right? And, and summer doesn't last that long in Minnesota. Um, so here's what we are going to do, though. We'll, we'll be preaching through selective Psalms throughout the summer. Um, but we also have a, a reading list for you. And this is a reading list that will actually go through all of the Psalms. And so we have organized it through from beginning on June 1st all the way through until Labor Day. Uh, it's about a 90-day reader, or 90 or 92-day 92 92 day reading list that will take us all the way through the Psalms. And so what we'd like to do is to encourage you to either pick one of these cards up uh, on your way out this morning, which has all of and has a little box that you can check off for those of you who are... Yeah, who, who function that way, um, you can know. For those of you who don't function that way and you need reminders, um, then at the bottom of the card, then you can also find that we will text you every single day uh, the Psalms that you are to read. And so you can sign up uh, if you were to go to 292929 text mgefc.sala, and we will, every single morning at 9 o'clock, we will send you a text reminding you of the Psalms that you are supposed to read for the day. Um, that's what I need, just in case you were wondering which. I'll choose. I've already done it. So you just sign up, you send a text, then you'll get a, re- you'll get a response back saying, thank you for signing up. Um, we also have... Our, our, these are our magnets that we have. Uh, this is f- so you can help stay connected throughout the summer. And on these magnets, we have these avail- available for you. You can take them. You can stick them on your refrigerator just to be reminded of what's happening throughout the summer. So Rock the Church is on here. Uh, worship at the Town Green is on here. Uh, all of our Thursday services are on here. So if you know you're going to be traveling for a weekend, then you can look at this. And here's the calendar. We just wanted to put it out in front of you on your refrigerator because we know you go there at least once or twice a day. Uh, so there you go. You can take those and make use of those, please, tools to help you stay connected this summer. We are here in Psalm 1. We're beginning in Psalm 1. It's purposeful uh, because many scholars suggest that Psalm 1 is actually the gateway to the book of Psalms, that it is the summary psalm for the book of Psalms. And so I thought it would be good for us to start here, Psalm chapter 1. So if you... with your if you don't have a Bible, you can find this you can find this reading in the Pew Bible in front of you on page four hundred and thirty one. But we'd like to read Psalm one beginning in verse one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Amen. Let's pause for a brief prayer. Father, we, on this Memorial Day weekend, come to you. Again, thanking you for the freedom that we enjoy, that in this moment we are able to come to you and to worship you and to open your word without fear of persecution. So now as we do this, we ask that you, by your spirit, will be our teacher and our helper and our guide. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It is Memorial Day weekend, as you well know. It's an American patriotic holiday where we th- are grateful and we remember the men and women who have sacrificed their lives in order that we might be able, uh, that, they, that we might have our freedom. They sacrificed their lives to protect our freedom or, according to the Declaration of Independence, our unalienable rights. So let me quote to you from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, and they are equally endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. And the Declaration continues on. But governments are instituted, according to the Declaration, why? To protect the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Written into the very founding documents of our country is this pursuit of happiness, this pursuit of being happy. There is an article that I came across um, this week. It was a Time Magazine article but written by a, a writer by the name of Jeffrey Kluger, And it's the happiness of pursuit. This is what he says. All human beings may come equipped with the pursuit of happiness impulse, the urge to find lusher land over the hill, fatter buffalo in the next valley. But it's Americans who have codified the idea, written it into the Declaration of Independence and made it a central mandate of the national character. American happiness would never be about the the savor-the-moment contentment. That way lay for the reflective cafe cultures of the old world. Fine for Europe, but not for Jamestown. Our happiness would be bred instead of an almost adolescent relentlessness and itch to do the next big thing. The terms of the deal the founders offered were not easy, there is no guarantee that we'll actually achieve happiness, but we can go after it in almost any way we choose. All by itself, that freedom ought to bring us joy. But the more cramped and distracted and maddeningly kinetic nature of our modern world has made it harder and harder, harder than ever. Somehow, there must be a way to thread that needle, to reconcile the contradictions between our pioneering impulses And our contemporary selves. We have this written into the very fabric of who we are as a nation this pursuit of happiness. That Maybe it's natural to all people, but he writes and he says, but certainly to Americans, it's this relentless pursuit of the next big thing, this pursuit of happiness. And he says, but as things have gone on, you would think the pursuit itself would bring joy, but it doesn't. It's become difficult. It's become hard. It's become, he says, "It, it should be hard. It should be easier for us. It's become cramped and distracted somehow. We must be able to figure out how we can pursue happiness. So we find ourselves in Psalm 1, because Psalm 1 is a psalm about happiness. More specifically, Psalm 1 is a psalm about the pursuit of happiness. And so before we get to the text itself, I, wonder, I want to ask you to consider this question. Are you, have you found happiness? And do you stay happy? And this is not a trivial question. This is not a trivial question. Are you a fundamentally happy person? Why or why not? Psalm 1. First, we need to recognize that happiness is a desire. The psalmist says, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. Blessed means joyful, satisfied, happy. The psalmist begins by saying, blessed is the one. Happy is the one. As if to say, if you want to be happy, listen. Listen. If you you want to find happiness, he's almost assuming that every single person wants to find happiness, and he says, if you want to be happy, which I know you do, then listen up, because we're going to be talking about this pursuit of happiness. I have a hunch that we begin thinking when we're in our younger days, maybe child days, but certainly younger days that we have, that happiness is just a natural thing. You're just naturally happy. It just, it's a right, right? It's an unalienable right. We should be happy. And then life happens. And the longer we go, then we realize that it's not as easy to be happy as we thought it is. It's not, it doesn't come as naturally as we thought. And it may be that some of you are here this morning and you've been so banged up by life that you actually think that happiness is actually unattainable. Because life is so harsh and life is so difficult and you know the journey that you've been on and you said, actually for me, it is actually unachievable for me to be happy. The best thing I can do is to muddle through a day until the night comes. Jeffrey Kluger says, by itself the journey should bring us joy, but the more cramped and distracted and maddeningly kinetic nature of our modern world has made it harder and harder than ever to thread the needle, to find happiness. Happiness is not the problem. The desire for happiness is not the problem. The, desire, the problem is the way in which we try to pursue happiness. And that's where the psalmist goes from here. The psalmist believes that happiness is actually possible. So be encouraged. But it's the way in which we pursue the happiness that is the question. So first, we recognize that happiness is a desire. Well, what does the psalm actually have to say about this pursuit of happiness? Well, happiness then is a pursuit. Happiness is a pursuit. He begins by explaining that there are two ways in which we can go about happiness. There are two ways in which we can pursue it. There's one that actually is, um, because we sometimes have a tendency, at least I know I did, at some point to be able to say, I can either be happy or I can be a good Christian. I can either be a good Christian, or I can pursue happiness. That's not what he Those are not the two pursuits that he says. He says, we can pursue happiness, and you can either pursue happiness with God, or you can try to pursue happiness without God. Those are the two options that you have as it relates to pursuing happiness. This, so, these are the two pursuits. You can either pursue happiness with God, and or happiness without God, and that's how it, he teases out here. And at the Uh, The the mindset under the core of pursuing uh, happiness without God is essentially this mindset, that God gets in the way of happiness. The other mindset is that God is the route to happiness. God is the the pathway through which happiness comes. So let's explore these together. First, the pursuit of God without happiness. I think we can, can I want to break out each of these pursuits under three headings. The first is the pursuit without God. It's the, what we believe that informs what, how we behave that informs whom we belong to. That's what he has here. It's what we believe. He says, the pursuit of happiness without God is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked. Does not walk and step with the wicked. You and I, we are bombarded every single day with messages of telling us how to be happy, aren't we? A relentless Pursuit of you and me as consumers telling us how we ought to be, how we can be happy, what we ought to pursue. They're saying, if you can just acquire this thing, then it will increase your happiness or it will supply all of the happiness that you desire. We are told by advertisers, we are told by TV shows that if you buy this, if you change that, if you lose this, then you will find your way to happiness. You will be on the road to happiness. We are told that if we will just pursue something so so it goes like this. So do you want to have nice skin? Do you have oily skin? Do you have wrinkles? Then you're on your way to skin hell. Nobody wants to go to skin hell, because if you go to skin hell, then there's no happiness in skin hell, but not to worry, we have the cream that is for you, that will, cover, that will clear up your zits, that will make all your wrinkles go away, and we will on your way to skin heaven, which is the skin happiness. And so if you will just buy our cream for 19.95, then you are on your way to happiness. That's essentially the narrative. You can sub out whatever type of, whatever it is, whatever product you would like, but that's essentially the narrative, isn't it? If you don't have this, then you are on your way to. I, I was reading, or I was listening to the radio. I dropped my kids off of school the other day, and on comes, on, on the radio comes this, comes this commercial, and it says, are you looking for another thing to bring you happiness? Are you like, well, I thought, oh, this is applicable. I was just thinking about this myself. And they said, oh, are you looking to buy another thing? The problem is, you're, you're looking for it. You're looking for meaning in life and other things. What you really need to do is learn another language. And if you will, with Rosetta Stone, learn another language, then you're going to be on your way to heaven, right? Because then you have a meaningful life because you've learned another language. It's all the same narrative. It's all the same story. You're on your way. This, we have the very thing that will actually bring you to happiness. Those other things will not. This will. You say, oh, well, I understand. I'm smart enough to see through it. I know you are, and so am I. But we have a tendency to be lured into thinking that if we can just have that one thing, then I will be... If if you've ever found yourself thinking, if I only had... if If I only drove, if I could only build, if I've only received, if I've only got, if she only would... If he only would, then I would be happy. Then I would have. That's the thinking that goes along with our culture. That's the cultural narrative that we all are swimming in. It's the water that we're swimming in that we're tempted to believe that happiness is actually achieved in something or the acquisition of many things. And therefore, that determines how we behave. That determines how we behave. Or he says, the psalmist says, or stand in the way that sinners take. That if I believe that something is going to bring me happiness, then it will determine how I act. And I will align my actions to achieve the very things that I think will actually bring me happiness. And so therefore, the way that I spend my time, the way that I spend my money, the way that I spend my energy, the way that I think, the things I talk about, will all be aligned towards the things that I think will actually bring me the most happiness that I so long for and that I so desire. And so what we believe that something or acquisition of things is actually going to bring me this happiness that I desire, therefore we spend our time and our talents and our energy and we talk about it and we think about it and we align our actions the way we behave towards getting the very things that we think will bring us the most happiness. And then that determines to whom we belong. He says, or sit in the company of mockers. Or sit in the company of mockers. Those whom you sit with are those with whom you identify. Think of junior high lunch, right? What table you sit at? Do you sit at the kid do you sit at the the, 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 the smart kids? Or, which I never sat at. You sit with the jocks, you sit with do you sit with the popular kids? Who what table do you sit at? Because that determines where you are in the pecking order of junior high world. It's no different. It's no different. People are people. The company to whom we sit is those whom we identify with. And who do we identify with? Those who believe the same things we believe, who align their lives the same way that they do. And he says, you sit in the company of mockers because we find ourselves looking down our nose who don't believe the same things that we believe and behave the same ways that we behave. And so therefore, because you don't believe that these things are the things that actually bring happiness, you're obviously unenlightened. And because you don't align your energy and your time and your talents to, to achieve the very things that will actually bring happiness then then you clearly are wasting your time and you know what you don't belong to our group and so while you may not say it you may not say well you don't openly mock people we do it differently we say I can't believe they allowed their yard to look like that I can't believe that they would be in that neighborhood I can't believe they would drive something like that and we say that to our wife or to our spouse and when our kids hear us and we find ourselves Believing that these certain things will provide us a certain type of identity and aligning all of our resources in order to achieve those things and then finding ourselves looking superior and mocking at those who don't actually have the very things that we find as our status symbols. All in an attempt at being happy. All in an attempt at pursuing happiness. The psalmist says that's one way to pursue it. But there's another way. The pursuit of God, pursuit of happiness with God. But those who delight in the law of the Lord, who mediates or meditates on his law day and night. That There's another way to pursue happiness, and that pursuit is actually by believing the law of the Lord. Now, we have a problem here because we have a tendency when we think of the law of the Lord to think of uh, either particular books of the Bible, the law, or we have a tendency to think of lists of do's and don'ts, right? And, and, then you, and then you get to passages like this, and you say, someone will be happy when they delight in a list of do's and don'ts. How is that possible? Like, I don't even get it. Like, how, how can you delight in, like, a list of, like, the law? Like, who, who delights? Unless you're a lawyer, nobody delights in the law, and I'm not even sure they do. Uh, you know, how, how is that possible? Because that's the conundrum we find ourselves Well, I think it's better for us to understand when he's referring to the law of the Lord, he's referring to the whole message of God, the whole message of the Bible. So what the psalmist is saying is saying that I delight in what God has revealed to us. I delight in the very message of God. I delight and of course, what is the message of God that men are separated from God, and yet God took the initiative that He might reconcile mankind and humankind to himself, and he did so by so loving the world that He would send His son Jesus to come and live the perfect life that we couldn 't live and die on the cross, the sacrificial death that all of the sins of all of humanity were placed on Him, and on the third day he rose again, and one day he will return, and he says, and that is what I delight, and that is what I think about. And he says, these are the things that I process through. And he says, that's my delight. It's not the do's and don'ts. It's the message of all that God has done for me. He says, and that is my delight. That is what I believe. And then it determines his behavior. To meditate on it day and night. To meditate on it day and night. It means to think about it. It means to ruminate. It means to consider deeply what this message of the Bible actually is. It is, if you will, spiritual digestion. If you think about digestion, I, I and mean, I want to, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know a lot about digestion, but I know this, right? If you eat something, right? So you, 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 you get a donut, right? And you, you bite it, and you, you chew it up, you swallow it, and then, and then it digests. The only benefit that are, it's questionable whether you get benefit from donuts in any case. But let's suggest for the sake of argument that you do. You, you eat it, you enjoy it, and then you digest it and the bo- rest of your body gets benefit from it. You understand that, right? But unless, of course, we just take a bite of the donut and we leave it in our mouth. Then, then it's gross after a while. First it tastes okay and then it's like you still have this donut in your mouth and it's... <clears throat> and eventually, I don't know what you end up doing with it, right? Because it just, it does no benefit to the rest of the body. It doesn't benefit people either because then you're just disgusting people, right? It's just... So it is when we come here on Sunday mornings, and some of us, that's what we do with our Bibles. That's what we do with the Word of God. We come here and we take a bite of it, and here we are. We're taking our bite of, but we don't want to digest it. We don't meditate on it. We don't, we don't think about it. We don't allow the truth and the promises of God to actually permeate our lives. And so it's as good as just taking a bite and walking around and then selling. and you might even put it you might even post on, on online, this was great bite I took of the Bible today. Great but unless you're willing to meditate on it. Because if you actually believe that the word of God is actually your delight, then 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 what does it do? If that's what you believe, then it determines your behavior, which is to meditate, which is to think about, which is to allow the very word of God and the promises of God and the messages of God, of Jesus Christ, to actually permeate all of our lives. This is what he's talking about. We do this, and then it determines to whom we belong. That we belong to him. We belong to those who also belong to him, who are also meditating and believing the word of God and who are also meditating on the word of God and seeking to live out that word of God with other people. It is we belong to the people of God. We are a child of God It's to who we belong. You can pursue happiness by pursuing happiness in something or you can pursue happiness by finding it in Christ and in God himself. That's These are the two directions that he said. So these are the two pursuits, but where does each one lead? Where Where do they go from here? Do either of them actually give you happiness? Happiness as a destination. Pursuit of happiness without God. He says this They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners and the assembly of the righteous. They are like chaff. Does pursuing happiness without God actually give you happiness? Yes, for a while. Yes, you will experience a form of happiness. Yes, you will feel a spirit of elation and joy. But happiness will be short-lived. It will be like chaff. So the idea is this this, this threshing, it was this, how they would thresh out wheat. So they would throw it up and then what wasn't good would be floating away and then the, the, the grain would fall to the floor and they would scoop it up and that's how they would do, the, that was the threshing floor. And he says that's what happens. We, we pursue these things and those things can give us joy, they can give us happiness, but it'll be a short-lived happiness. It's not a happiness that's sustainable. It's not a happiness that lasts. It's not a happiness that is actually fundamental to who we are as people. It gets blown away. I, um, you know, I, I like an iPhone. I, I have an iPhone here. Um, and you remember when you first got your first, like, um, uh, smartphone, and you start to look at all the buttons and the bells and the whistles, and you think, oh, this is, this is so cool. I'm gonna be so cool. Um, this is an iPhone 5. Um, and as you know, there's an iPhone 6 and probably an iPhone 27 out by now. I'm, 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 I'm woefully behind. And people keep telling me because they say that all my pictures and all my videos that I take are now fuzzy as it relates to this. And they keep putting pressure on me to go buy a new phone. I resist you. Get behind me, Satan, right? Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. But you get the iPhone, and you, when you first get it, it's like, woohoo! you know, it's just so, it's this cool thing. And it does bring you joy, and it does bring you happiness, and this is not a commercial for iPhone, so if you have a Samsung, great, good for you. The same thing applies, right? You get your new device, and you think it's amazing, and it's so fun, until somebody else comes along with a newer, greater one, and then all of a sudden, you start looking at your device, and you say, well, where did, and it starts to steal away your joy, right? And you say, well, wait a minute, and, or say you say, well, I, I resist all phones, and I don't do phones. Well, great, there's something else. There's something else that you thought was going to give you great joy, and it did for a while until it didn't anymore, and then you had to start looking for the next new thing that was actually going to bring you, the happiness that the other one didn't actually provide, because it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It doesn't last, and the next thing you know, you find it at the, sitting in your driveway at a garage sale, and you're begging your neighbors to take it away off your hands for a quarter. You're like, please, just take this away. I don't want it anymore. It doesn't last. But even worse, the psalmist says that is the way to destruction. It is the way of the wicked that actually leads to destruction. He says in verse six that this type of thinking it won't last, and at worst, it'll actually lead to destruction. Because the one drink that we thought that gave us happiness led to two because one wasn't enough and then it leads to five and then it leads to addiction and it leads to deeper drugs and it leads to you shipwrecking your finances and shipwrecking your life on the, on the altar of addiction continuing to pursue an ever elusive happiness and joy we find ourselves leading, is leading to destruction. It's destroying families because what our, the wife of our youth, who we thought was going to bring us happiness, did for five or ten years until she didn't anymore. And then there was someone else who we had to pursue. And now five wives later, we're continuing looking back at our lives and going, what have I done? What a complete shipwreck I've made of my life. All continue. Because as we... We find continuing to pursue this way of happiness leads to destruction, and uh, and and we come here finding ourselves saying, "I think happiness is completely unattainable," and I find myself lonely and in deep despair. There is a pursuit of happiness. That brings a happiness, a pursuit of happiness without God that brings joy for a short time, but it's unsustainable and ultimately the psalmist says the happiness without God, the pursuit of happiness without God at best is fleeting and at worst is destruction. Then there's the pursuit of happiness with God. Verse three, here's the picture that the psalmist gives. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water Which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Happiness, the happy life, is like a tree. As you know, trees are not, are there, they're subject to all seasons. They're subject to winter. They're subject to dry summers. They're subject to, they're not shaded. They're not, they're not sheltered by, from the elements. They're there in all of the seasons, and the tree actually feels the seasons, but this particular tree is planted by a stream of water. It's on a river bank. And so therefore, regardless of the seasons, regardless of the circumstances of the external circumstances of life, there is refreshment as the roots go down in receiving refreshment from the water. This is the picture that, that, that the psalmist gives us of someone who is pursuing happiness, someone who is pursuing happiness with God. We make the mistake of thinking that happiness is coming from our external circumstances. We're tempted to think that happiness comes from things that are outside of us. And what the psalmist is saying, that's not how it is for the Christian. For the Christian, it is not what's happening outside of us, but it's what's happening in us. It's what's happening through us. As a Christian, Christians are not simply nice people we're not just nice people. A Christian is someone who is deeply rooted in something else. A Christian is someone who has been planted from the outside in us. We've become a new creation, and the very Spirit of Jesus Christ is at work within us. And the Spirit of Jesus Christ is a river, as it were, that is continually flowing within us. And it is the happiness and joy of the Christian when our roots go down deep into the very flowing river of the Spirit of God that does what? Remind us of the truth of God and reminds us of who we are in God and continues to, continues to help us meditate on the deep truths of God. And there is a power there, and there is a strength there, and there is an outlook there that is only there for the Christian who recognizes that it doesn't come with the circumstances and seasons of life, but actually comes from the roots that go deeper into the very spirit of God. And so we're able to say with Peter in 1 Peter six. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. The tree goes through winter. The tree goes through a hot summer. The tree goes through all types of circumstances, but its roots go deeper down. Someone once says that you don't know what it is to rejoice in the Lord until you suffer. You don't know what it is to rejoice in the Lord until you're suffering. That true happiness is not being fun and frolicking all the time. It's not just a lightheartedness all of the time. And those of you who have been in this situation and have suffered greatly have be, should be up here telling your stories even in this moment to be able to say that outside of me there was great dryness that outside of me all of chaos was swirling around me but inside of me sprung a great hope and a great joy that all that I can say is my roots went down as deep as as far as they could go and quite frankly if I'm honest with you I didn't think my roots would go deep enough but it was that they tapped into the very flowing rivers of God that sprung up within me and it didn't make any sense because my world was being turned upside down and yet I knew that I was saved in his hands. This is where happiness comes. This is where happiness for the Christian is seated and rooted in. This is where it leads if we will pursue happiness with God. Well, how can I get this happiness? Well, happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice, a choice of allegiance, we have to choose to pursue happiness. The psalmist says, true, sustainable happiness is possible for you if you will grow your roots deep into the, river, the flowing river of the spirit that is within you. But it has everything to do with how we approach God. Is God for your happiness? Yes. Yes. But it's not some trick. It's not like you come to God with some sort of magic words where you leave here on a memorial memorial weekend and you say, okay, now I'm going to pray to God to make me happy and it's going to happen. No, we come to God for God. We pursue God for Him. We don't pursue Him it's the difference of coming to him and saying, God, I am coming to you and I owe you everything and you owe me nothing because of what you have done for me and your son, Jesus Christ. I owe you nothing. Or I owe you everything and you owe me nothing. Or coming to him and saying, God, I will come to you, but, you, but if I come to you, then you, you must answer my requests and you must give me what I want and you must make me happy. There's a very distinct difference. Do you know the story, Luke chapter 15, The story sometimes referred to as the story of the prodigal son? There's actually two sons. The younger son goes to his father and says, Father, I, I want you to give me your inheritance, which is as good as saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I just want your money. And the father gave him the money and he went out in pursuit of happiness. He went out in pursuit of what he thought would bring him great joy. And it did for a while until the money ran out. And then he found himself feeding pigs longing that he could fill his stomach with the very food that the pigs were eating and he thought to himself my father's servants eat better than me they're treated better than me i will go back to my father and when i go to my father i will tell him i'm not worthy of being called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and so he did and when he you know the story when he goes back to his father, what does his father do? When his father sees him a long way off, his father comes running towards him. And then when he gets face to face with his father, he says, Father, I am, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, I, I Treat me as one of your hired... The father has no deal or none of that. And he celebrates. He gets the robe. He gets the ring. He gets the fatted calf. He gets to celebrate because the father is so glad to, be, to, to shower gifts on his son who was once dead but who is now alive. So it is with us. If we, come to the, if we come to God and say, God, I'm coming to you, but just so that I can have your, your, the, your benefits that you owe me, that you give me. Or when we come to him and say, you don't owe me a thing. I'm not worthy of being called your child. Just treat me as one of your hired hands. And then what did he get? He got all of the joys thrown in. He got all of the blessings thrown in. Friends, it's when we come to God. It's when we come to him and say, I am not worthy to be your child. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy to be your daughter. Then God says, let me show you. Then you can actually joy in your new iPhone. Then, but, but you don't find your significance in it. Then you can enjoy your new car. Hey, but you don't find your significance and value. You're not wrapped up in your stuff because you're wrapped up in your father. That's, that's the joy. That's the joy of the Lord that comes to those who are his children. Let us be those who don't find this pursuit of happiness so confusing. For rather on this Memorial Day weekend, we recognize that our pursuit is found in pursuing relentlessly this awesome God that we serve. Let us pray. Father, none of us has this down, but all of us are longing that we might pursue happiness in you and that in pursuing you that we might be able to experience the great strength that comes by having roots that go deep into the flowing spirit, the flowing, the flowing waters of your spirit. Help us to grow roots deeper for your glory and for our strength and stability. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.